Good morning. morning. Welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We are a spiritual community dedicated to the free search for truth and meaning, and we're glad you're here. I would like to extend a special welcome to those of you who are visiting with us this morning. We stand in the center of a heritage that teaches that there is a spark of the divine in every person. It is in the spirit of that heritage that I say, let us greet the holy in our midst by turning to the person to your right and left and welcoming them here this morning. Please say with me the words by which we light our chalice. In the light of truth and the warmth of love, we gather to seek, to find, and to share. The call to worship is a reading by Theodore Parker. Be ours a religion which, like sunshine, goes everywhere, its temple, all space, its shrine, the good heart, its creed, all truth, its ritual, works of love, its profession of faith, divine living. If someone asks you what your church is all about, you can say, we gather in community to nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice. May it be so. This reading is by Clifford Martin Reed. You are the eternal, the timeless. You would have us dance and sing in celebration of the present moment, but we can't see your smile or hear your song. But how will we find you if we don't look where you are? We search the past through its dusty libraries, its darkened ruins, its blood-soaked battlefields, but you are not there. We find only idols and people bowing down to them. Of you there is but a whisper, why do you seek the living among the dead? We search the future, straining our eyes to find you, but we see nothing. Only our own mirages and maybes reflected back on fearful, hopeful faces. And we hear a whisper. Do not be anxious about tomorrow. Tomorrow will look after itself. You are now in us, with us. The present is your dwelling place. Call us out from bondage. Touch us with eternity. Free us from the drag of the past, the pull of the future. May we know you, love you, serve you, not yesterday, not tomorrow, but now, in this timeless moment. In our Sunday worship, we offer two examples of a spiritual practice that you are welcome to take home with you and use. The first is, as we sing the children out, we say, when I breathe in, I breathe in peace. When I breathe out, I breathe out love. You could do that for 10 minutes every day, and your life will change. Your life would also change if you do this every day, the loving-kindness meditation that we say after our time of quiet. I'll say a line, and you say it after me if you choose to. The first time through, we say this for ourselves. May I be free from danger. 
May I be mentally happy. May I be physically happy. May I have ease of well-being. The second time we say it for somebody we love. May you be free from danger. May you be mentally happy. May you be physically happy. May you have ease of well-being. Third time through as a spiritual challenge. We say this for someone against whom we have a resentment. May you be free from danger. May you be mentally happy. May you be physically happy. May you have ease of well-being. My mother used to uh, drive us around the South and tell us, that uh, my sister and me, tell us, I'm taking you to see your godly heritage. And mostly it involved uh, tramping through old graveyards and uh, looking at churches in Alabama and Tennessee and old uh, tiny brick houses that our grandparents used to live in when they were home on furlough from their missionary work in Pakistan, where my mother grew up. So this morning, I'm going to be telling family stories and showing you your godly heritage as part of the Unitarian Universalist family. I would like to, every now and then, tell you stories about our ancestors and let you be strengthened by those. Today, I want to tell you about Theodore Parker. He was a Unitarian minister who was outspoken, not at all diplomatic. He just let his judgments fly rather than trying to be understanding. He was not tolerance. He was not tolerant because tolerance can be overdone. He did not tolerate wickedness or stupidity. I'm not sure he would have been fun to have dinner with. But let me tell you about him and you see what you think. He was born in 1810 on a farm in Massachusetts, the youngest of 11 children. Five generations of his family had been farmers on that thin and rocky soil. His grandfather, John Parker, had fought in the French and Indian War And then, 15 years later, he'd led the militia against the Redcoats at Lexington, saying, if they mean to have a war, let it begin here. None of his sisters and brothers was bookish, but his father began to love novels, and he would want to discuss them with his children. Parker's mother loved the old ballads, and she would sing them and teach them to the children. She would tell family stories and read to the children from the Bible. Theodore Parker was a reader, and he's the one his father discussed the novels with, and he had a brilliant mind. By nine, 
He was reading Milton, learning Greek, digesting philosophy. He wrecked his health by studying 16 hours a day. By the time he was an adult, he had a library of 14,000 books. And his friends swore he could tell you what was in every one. He only lived to be 50. By his mid-40s, his hair was snowy white and he was completely bald on top. He wrote that by his mother's count, he was 47, but inside he felt the digits were reversed and that he was 74. I'm an old man. By the time Theodore was a teenager, he was teaching in a local school, and when he got a chance to go to Harvard, he jumped at it and then attended Harvard Divinity School. Harvard was a Unitarian institution, so Parker received the best training in Unitarian theology. His first parish was in West Roxbury, Massachusetts, which was a happy experience for him. He married his wife Lydia there, and they had a happy marriage. They had no children to his sorrow, but he kept toys in his office and let the children of the church play with them, and all the children called him Parky. Like most intellectuals of the day, Parker drew from the scholarship coming out of Germany. Kant, Schleiermacher, Hegel, Schilling, all of them were applying critical thinking and reason to the Bible. Texts were being analyzed, authorship questioned, critical thinking applied to the Bible, revealed that it was a book written by many different voices with sometimes competing political and theological agendas, certainly with different vocabulary, different rhythm, different language. It was around this time that Parker's friend, Ralph Waldo Emerson, preached his famous sermon for the Harvard Divinity School graduation, which led to him being uh, kicked out of Harvard and leaving Unitarianism. He called for the application of reason and heart to religion. He said, Emerson said, that um, church was boring, the people were dull, and there was no um, warmth in the whole tradition, and he was done with it. So you can see why the good people of Harvard said, you know what, let's not have you back. In fact, he looked out the window of the chapel where he was preaching and pointed to a church down the street and called the minister's name when he was talking about being full of yourself, boring, grandiose, and etc. Theodore Parker started writing after in conversations with Emerson and Thoreau that you heard about. All the people that you heard about in the children's story were friends. And they were all in the Unitarian tradition. And so Louisa May Alcott and her dad, Bronson Alcott, um, Parker, Margaret Fuller, Emerson, Nathaniel Hawthorne, um, all of those people, Henry David Thoreau, were friends and had conversations together. Parker began writing that the common Unitarian teaching at the time was that people believed in Jesus um, because of his miracles, and that that was monstrous. The miracles themselves were monstrous, Parker said. Natural laws set up by God, why would he 
then break the natural laws just to get people to believe in Jesus. That didn't make any sense. God intervened in your mind, in the spiritual world, but not in the natural world. God speaks directly to your mind, not through scriptures, but directly to you and to your soul. That God wasn't some alien presence in our mind. The God force was part of our mind, part of consciousness, something we were born with. This is what the Unitarians in the mid-1800s, or the early 1800s, were writing. Can you imagine? It wouldn't even fly in most places today to talk about the God force being part of you. These are Unitarian teachings into which we have our roots deeply sunk. So, in Boston, Theodora Parker had met Emerson and the whole group of people who were living in Concord who were later called the Transcendentalists. Um, Emerson's sermon about there needing to be heart and there needing to be a good sense in religion and that it needed to have some life in it, um, that had caused a big flap. And Emerson dealt with the flap by just ignoring it and walking away and becoming a lecturer. And he could do that because he had money from his wife who had died. Um, Parker wrote a rebuttal to the criticism of Emerson's sermons. Uh, There was a professor from the Divinity School who had taken the sermon apart bit by bit and had pointed out how uh, terrible it was and how heretical it was. And Parker took that rebuttal and took it apart line by line, took apart the professor's logic and reasoning, pointed out errors in his translation from the German. Um, So he was the intellectual power. Actually, Emerson was a great intellectual power, and so was Margaret Fuller. But I guess Parker was the scholarly power behind the transcendentalists. Um, What the transcendentalists put forward together was that religion comes from inside you. I want you to see how much of this you agree with. Religion comes from inside you. Everyone is born with a capacity to hear and feel God, to know what is right. Humans have an intuitive grasp of morality. Christianity is just one religion among many that pointed to truth. Jesus, while being a revelation of God, was not perfect and was not the only revelation of God. God could raise up more Christs at any time, they taught and probably had. God might even create greater Christs in the future. Mm. The Unitarians in Boston cried, atheist, heretic, blasphemer. Parker couldn't get an invitation to exchange pulpits with any other minister after having written that. They, uh, the Unitarians in Boston, the American Unitarian Association is what it was called at that time, they pulled a meeting together to try to excommunicate Theodore Parker. Now, when you have a religion with no creed, (laughs) it's hard to excommunicate somebody, but he made them that mad. And he went to the meeting. As they all talked together, there were fewer and fewer people who were willing to push his ouster. They accused him of heresy, of not being orthodox. 
He said, what is Unitarian Orthodoxy exactly? They couldn't say because there was no creed. First, perhaps they could say what Unitarian beliefs were and whether he was on the inside or the outside of them, but they shrugged and gave up because they didn't want to write a creed. And if they didn't write a creed, they had to keep Theodore Parker in. So Parker preached his views as they continued to evolve. And one of his sermons is still studied today in Unitarian Universalist seminaries, and you can find it online. It's called The Transient and the Permanent in Christianity. And what he says is the only permanent thing about Christianity is the teaching of Jesus that you should love one another and do justice. That's it. Everything else, all forms of worship, denominations, popes, creeds, architecture, practices of membership and communion are transient. One year you get lauded for a certain practice and a certain belief, and the next year you get put in jail for it. He said, it changes. It changes what, um, what color you should paint your sanctuary, whether you should clap or not in the service, what kind of music you should have. All of that is transient and personal, no less important, but not at the heart of religion, he taught. All of it is temporary, and what is falsehood in one era passes for truth in another, and the heresy of one era is the orthodoxy of another. And people are um, attached to the wrong things, the transient things, and they need to be attached to the permanent things. That's That's the sermon he is most famous for. Well, soon he had his own church in downtown Boston, but he couldn't preach in any church building they kept outgrowing because eventually about 3,000 people came to hear him preach every Sunday morning. 3,000. So they had to hire a theater. And he wasn't nice in his sermons. He would lambast the bankers for charging too much interest. He would, he would talk about uh, the mill owners paying their workers too little. He worked for children, for um, women's suffrage, for the abolition of child work. For, uh, he worked against slavery, against capital punishment. He said it was the duty of the state to provide public education for its citizens. But his most important cause turned out to be his anti-slavery work. That's what he's most known for. It is my sorrow to tell you that the American Unitarian Association did not support him in his anti-slavery work. In 1850, the Fugitive Slave Act was was passed, supported by Unitarian Senator Daniel Webster, and signed into law by Unitarian President Millard Fillmore. These are also our forebears. The Fugitive Slave Act was first enforced by Unitarian judges. What it said was that any black person could be sent south to slavery by the simple statement of any white person that that black person had once been a slave. No judge, no jury, no due process. It had to go before a judge um, who would enforce if a judge sent a black woman or man back to be enslaved, 
the judge was paid $10. If the judge uh, contended that that black man or woman was not to be enslaved and was free, the judge was paid $5. Any northerner who aided a formerly enslaved man or woman could be fined a thousand dollars, eighteen fifty money, a thousand dollars. The president of the American Unitarian Association at that time said, "It is our duty under the Constitution to return the fugitives. I would return my own wife and mother to slavery to save the Union." Theodore Parker preached. You notice he did not say he would return himself to slavery (laughs) under the same conditions. His picture's on the front of your bulletin. You can tell he's a firecracker by looking at his face. Parker declared from the pulpit, I will say this solemnly. I will shelter And I will help the fugitive with all my humble means and power. I will act with any body of serious and decent people as the head or the foot or the hand in any mode not involving the use of deadly weapons to defeat the operation of this law. His church had some members who were fugitive slaves. Parker organized a vigilance committee to protect the 300 runaway formerly enslaved men and women in Boston. When the slave hunters came after two members of his congregation, William and Ellen Craft, he hid them in his cellar and wrote his sermons with a pistol cocked and ready on his desk until they could be taken to Canada. He led an attack on the courthouse when a captured slave was being held there, and that landed him in jail for a while. He summed up his defense by saying, the spirit of liberty, the love of justice was early fanned into flame in my boyish heart. Such a monument covers the bones of my own kinfolk. It was their blood which reddened the long green grass at Lexington. It is my own name which stands chiseled on that stone and the tall captain who marshaled his fellow farmers and mechanics into stern array was my father's father. I learned to read out of his Bible, and with a musket he that day captured from the foe, I learned another religious lesson, that rebellion to tyrants is obedience to God. We need scholars and believers like Parker around today. I have my ideas, of course, about what he would be preaching, but I don't know. I think he would preach against the credit card companies that charge so much interest and give poor folk and middle-class folk so many credit cards that they end up drowning in debt, and then they change the due date of the credit card bill so that you're late in your fees if you don't watch it like a hawk. I know he would take on racism in all its forms as soon as it came to his consciousness. I know he would fight against the death penalty because he did back then. I hope he would stand for the complete inclusion of gays and lesbians into society. I wonder what he would say about the decriminalization of drugs, about the drone program, redistricting, and background checks for gun ownership. I'm going to keep that man in mind 
and let him inspire me to be brave and clear. He did align himself with some people on the fringes. He was very interested in hypnotism, health food, utopian communities, going back to nature. Those old Unitarians were always trying to go back to nature from Boston. They spent mm, a couple of months on the farm, and they were like, this is it's not the kind of work I was trained for at Harvard. <laughs> he was passionate, and he stood for what he believed. Not only stood for it, he acted on it, put himself on the line for it. There's a stained glass window at a church, a Unitarian church, I believe, in Boston, that has a picture of Theodore Parker on his study desk with the pistol right beside his notes. No one even remembers today what that president of the Unitarian Association looks like. But we remember Mr. Parker. We are sometimes so cautious, so sensible, so diplomatic, so even-tempered, so fearful of looking foolish, that we forget to speak out against what is wrong. So I say, go forth in peace and passion and love. Make some mistakes. It's okay. Speak your truth and back it up with reason and with action and with compassion. And may St. Theodore look down on us, protect us, and guide us. And now will you please say with me the words by which we extinguish our chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. I know this rose will open. I know my fear will burn away. I know my soul will unfurl its wings. I know this rose will open. Go in peace. This is a presentation of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, visit our website at www.austinuu.org.